0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN footy podcast.
1: We had four action-packed finals. we've had a Tuesday morning tribunal hearing. Collingwood set to announce a new coach. Uh, it's all happening as we jump into another big episode of the podcast. I'm Matt Walsh. Uh, he's Jake Michaels a bit on this morning isn't there?
0: Yeah, a Tuesday morning uh, tribunal hearing which is dragged on into the uh, into the afternoon um, started at 9 a.m. Oh unreal. I mean, we can talk about this all day, but I don't understand why it's had to go so long.
1: But uh, anyway, lots happening. Yeah, Toby Green had to even excuse himself from the tribunal hearing because he's got a plane to catch. Not that I don't think it'll matter that he's on the plane anyway, but uh, yeah, it is all happening. And and Christian Jolly from Champion Data, have you had time to take stock of what actually happened on the weekend and and not this sort of other periphery stuff? Because I'm still trying to recover from uh, from everything that we've had to take in.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, probably sort of a bit lucky I just yeah head down bum up as soon as the round finishes there's another round coming we uh, obviously do season um, reviews of the you know the four teams that have sort of out of the season now after doing the um, 10 teams previous weeks and things like that so yeah I don't sort of I mean yeah follow along on Twitter and things the news that's going along but no i just look ahead to the to the next week one week at a time as they say.
1: But we will jump into Toby Green a bit later. We've got some finals previews ahead as well. And we're going to uh, look at some some interesting stat-based things. But before we do get into another big episode, something we noticed from the weekend that we might have otherwise missed, Jake? Anything catch your eye?
0: Yeah, there are a few things. But I'm going to go with uh, something I noticed before the round of, of games. Um, oh and it was the All-Australian team. Now, we did our own one. We spoke about it last week on the podcast with uh, Christian and the champion data team and there's everyone does it and it's very difficult to do but there was one player which I thought was just about the biggest lock of all aside from Harry Mackay who was the Coleman medalist who pretty much is guaranteed a spot in there and that was Paul Seedsman in terms of a winger there's no player that was even close to hit to as productive as he was throughout the year he was ranked first or second in just about every statistical area yet he didn't get a Guernsey didn't get the blazer And instead, and look, I'm not knocking the two players that took the wing positions in, Sam Walsh and Zach Merritt, who are massive fans of both of them. But let's be honest, they're not wingers. (laughs) Christian, how much time do these guys spend on the wing?
2: Uh, So Sam Walsh was 11%, um, and most of that was between rounds one and seven. Uh, And Zach Merritt across the year, 4%.
0: 4%?! It's, it, it's on, honestly like putting Patrick Dangerfield at full forward because he can, plays there sometimes. It's ridiculous. 4% of the time. Yeah. And it, actually, Danger would play there more than 4% of the time. So, no, I thought it was ridiculous. I love Zach Merritt. Really good player. Mm. But he, he shouldn't have been in that position. And I think Paul Seedsman can, be, can consider himself really stiff. He had a fantastic year.
1: I had high hopes for the All-Australian team and not stuffing midfielders in every which way, yeah. but they they did it a little bit, they uh, unfortunately. They did, they stuck. But the two flankers hadn't... as well, the four yeah. flankers. So, every year. We, should, <laughs> we
0: shouldn't be surprised.
1: No, no, if you keep your expectations low, they can't disappoint you, Jake. Christian, something from the weekend that uh, grabbed your attention.
2: Yeah, probably another one that's uh, been a few weeks, or, you know, noticed it for a few weeks now, but Harrison Petty just sort of want to show some love to um, Melbourne's sort of, you know, Key defender that sort of slotted in next to May and Lever, and I think start of the year I might have spoke about on the pod how how important Adam Tomlinson's role was in Melbourne's defence and allowing May and Lever to play those two, especially you know, it really allows Lever to free himself up and May can sort of come off his opponent as well if they've got a third lockdown defender. Tomlinson's n- did his knee in round eight; um, he's obviously missed the rest of the season. Harrison Petty stepped, stepped straight into that role, and you know, I, I look at him; he's not a he's not a stats. Man, if you, you, if you like, um, so poor for disposals, average for intercept possessions, average for intercept marks, below average meters gains, average for spoils. But I just think it's the eliteness about him is his role to the team. And I think he just makes Melbourne's defence, which is the number one defence in the competition. I think I say that nearly every week. He's, he's made that team so much better since, since coming into it. And that's after playing, you know, missing all of last season through injury. And I think he played 11 games in his two years prior to that. So... Uh, Just, yeah, someone that's grabbed his opportunity at the right time and play a big part, I think, in Melbourne's premiership push.
1: Hmm. Interesting you say that, like a a role player, because we will touch on that sort of idea a little bit later in the podcast. Something I noticed, and it's going to be another commentary thing, is I find myself, (laughs) there's a lot of commentary ones. uh, I thought you you might have noticed the double poster again. We had another one. We are stuck at home a lot. So I do, I do get to analyze games and watch games and watch them back and notice bits and pieces. It is not the double poster. Um, it's happened twice. Well, I think it's twice this weekend or it might have happened once last week and once this week, but a player is sent off for the blood rule. They got a cut above the eye um, and, and the commentator, whoever it might be at the time says, oh, I think it was, it was JB. It was, um, it was him on the weekend. He was calling... Uh, it must have been Sunday's game, the dogs and the JB dogs. JB who Brayshaw? Brayshaw. Bartel. <laughs> Brayshaw. <Bennett? laughs> They're uh, <all> JBs. <laughs> that's a good that's a bloody good point. Um, but Brayshaw. Uh and and he was walking off and and the, the cut was the, under his eye or the player's eye or whatever, and, and he's like, Oh, he'll have to get some hemorrhoid cream on that. And I'm thinking no, is that where you know, is that where hemorrhoid cream usually goes? Normally, I think hemorrhoid cream <laughs> is taken um, rectally. I think is the way to put it, Jake. So I'm not too sure what was going on there. I have a feeling he and whoever said this last week or in another game this weekend I meant to say hemorrhoid cream, which is a cream that you put on cuts and it brings out the bruises so that they heal quicker. Which is very different to hemorrhoid cream, and I would not be putting hemorrhoid cream on my
0: face. It's like that was.
1: thing that what what
0: is it called when you when you hear something different to or you think Sounds, something different to yeah. what it actually to the reality. It's almost like that. It just becomes said it's said wrong
1: so often that you think that it's right. Yeah, it's it's like um when when you say like um oh what what are some of those things? It's just like oh they're sayings, but like. Oh, I've lost it. I don't even know. But like you, you say one thing or it's like, oh, for all intensive purposes, yeah. but it's actually for all intents and purposes, yep. these sorts of things um so yeah hemorrhoid cream apparently well, maybe we should get a doctor on the pod just to confirm that <laughs> one because i i don't, i can't tell you one way or the other Look, honestly used never use the product <laughs> I, I, honestly I, I could be very very wrong and there might be a use for hemorrhoid cream on the face somewhere however i just get the feeling that they meant to say hemorrhoid cream which is very very different all right let's get into the podcast um well, we couldn't have a podcast without talking Toby Green, uh, found guilty of intentionally touching an umpire, suspended for 3 matches. Jake, that's his 2021 season done and dusted. And it's probably fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, it
0: felt when I first saw it, I thought I thought 4 weeks. I thought got to give him 4 weeks. You can't give him Some people were saying, "Oh, it's got to be a week." A week would have done it wouldn't have been done it a disservice. So, I think yeah. it's got to be um I think it had to be four to five. I, look, I'm comfortable with three. It, it ends his season, and in truth, I think they probably lose to the Cats this week, and it means it carries over to next next year, and that's important. I think a suspension, a three week suspension, feels bigger when it carries over uh, the summer and into next season too, because you live you you deal with that in the off season, and you know every day that you're not playing the first or second. Um, game of the season. So, but, but the action itself, look, we can sit here for the next half hour talking about it. I don't think there's really much to say. It's uh, where We touched on it off the top. But we were surprised that the, the tribunal hearing took four hours. I mean, all you need to do is look at it once and you can clearly see he walks um, into Matt Stevik and had Stevik not actually turned at the point of contact it would have looked a whole lot worse. So I think he did Toby a favor there. Uh, and yes, getting back to your point,
1: I'm comfortable <laughs> with him getting a three-week suspension. Well, the AFL pushed for six, uh, and GWS, the, the lawyer, uh, wanted a fine, a twenty to $25,000 fine. Yeah, that, well, I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. But, you know,
0: had it been well, six, I probably wouldn't have been that shocked. I, I I would have been comfortable with it being 6 as well. It's one yeah. of those ones that felt like 3 was the minimum. I, I think 3 was the minimum.
1: G- given given their the not the odds on favorite to win this week, the fact that it's more than likely going to be the first two rounds of next season, I think sits comfortably with me. If they were uh, a side like Geelong who had lost the first week and there was a a chance they would get through to a prelim and possibly a grand final and then round 1 he's good to go i i might have felt a bit ripped off but just don't don't touch umpires and you can't look at the incident and think he wasn't trying to be demonstrative and he wasn't trying to intentionally do it i mean when i bump someone if i'm walking you know in a heavily crowded area like toby was and if i bump someone i I'm, I'm i'm so sorry like and i might even touch their shoulder and say maybe not now in a covid world but like you're quite apologetic. And he was very just blase about the whole thing and was pointing and yelling and swearing as we found out well, it was in the funny. testimony. In the, in the actual hearing itself, they asked him that, that, that point was brought up and said, yep. well, if you bump
0: into someone in the street, would you turn around and apologize? Like if it was an accident and he, he his response there was just about the strangest thing. He said, not necessarily or something. I'm like, wouldn't man, want, not not would want to walk love past you as a street. player, Toby, but you're not selling yourself as a person here. Like you're not going to turn around and apologize for an accidental sort of shoulder bump.
1: The thing Strange. that really annoyed me throughout the week, and, and you two can chime in on this as well, was the but the attitude and some of the opinions coming from ex-players that are currently in the media and have a platform in the media. I mean, immediately after the game, we saw Luke Hodge, who was boundary writing for Channel Seven, be apologetic for Toby and make an excuse for him before toby had even had a chance to answer a question about the incident and mm. and we saw heater and daisy have a show on on channel seven and um he tried to say that it wasn't um you know stevic wasn't uh what was the word he used uh he, he didn't feel threatened by threatened it. by and,
0: it. And, but this is the thing he of course he can't come out and say he feels threatened by it because you've got all these meathead ex-players like like Luke, and I, look, I don't dislike Luke Hodge. I actually quite like Luke Hodge. But but Dale Thomas and Heath Shaw and all these guys that are coming out that we play footy, and it's this. It goes back to this culture of foot, what AFL, the footy culture is like, and it's about being tough and not being a sook. And if he, if if can you imagine Matt Stevens came out and said I felt threatened when Toby Green came up and and knocked my shoulder, everyone would be they'd all be calling him a sook. I oh, get mm. on with it. It's hardly any contact, you know. But this is where it needs to
1: change as well. Exactly. In the media. It, Darcy can't be change. saying it's an accident without actually, no, I mean, looking it, at that, that vision and saying, saying seriously that it's an accident. We no had a chat with, I, I had a chat with a former umpire, Matthew Head, who umpired 144 games last night. Uh, and we're, we're going to listen to a snippet of him a little bit later, but he said the same thing. He's like, I don't think that Stevick would have felt like he, he was, um, what was the word? Uh, uh, Thomas, uh, sorry, um Shaw use. We just had it before. Uh, he was like <laughs> aggressive or no, not aggressive. Uh, um, duh. What was the awesome. word he used? I'm having a mental uh, blank here. Um, anyway, so uh, he, he uh, Matthew Head, the umpire, he said um, he wouldn't have felt that way because, you know, umpires are... You know they're not trained to deal with physical contact but they're not intimidated by these these players um, but that doesn't change the fact that you shouldn't be touching them and yeah. you shouldn't be touching them in a, in a clearly demonstrative way uh and it's it just it filters down the ranks you'll see this happen in 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 junior football, in amateur football, mm. where the umpires are younger yeah. and and haven't yeah. been and developed for as point. long, and that's that is the problem. Point. And he yeah. had some really good words to say about that. There's a, a piece on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL about this. But um, you know, it, it filters down, and and that's where it's an issue, and and that's where it needs to be just completely stamped out.
2: And I think that's the biggest one that I sort of I, I thought this a few weeks ago as well. When people sort of to talk down an umpire, they say umpires shouldn't make themselves part of the game. You shouldn't notice an umpire. And we are, we're sort of conditions that, again, we talk about footy or just the footy line of thinking that an umpire should stay out of the way and the better umpires you don't notice. Surely it's the other way around. They're in charge of the game. Those three people out there, and it might take people, you know, I i, I could see a lot of people disagreeing with this comment and seeing it as ridiculous. They're the most three important people out there. They're more important than the 44 players who were just playing the game and, I know they're the ones we pay to see and, you know, they're the ones that create the game, but the umpires are in charge of officiating the game. Um, and I feel like, yeah, we've sort of got our, our um, you Priority
3: know, our, yeah,
2: our priorities all yeah, our thoughts of sort of, you know, what an umpire is, a little bit skewed at AFL level.
0: Well, oh, look, I th- I kind of disagree to some extent about that because I think the umpires are never going to be seen on par with the players. Like the the. the, the Yes, they're in control. Yes, they, they... But it's the players that people pay to watch and want to watch. But but the point is, the umpires have to be shown far more respect than they
1: get. And and, and I know that there's talk about the, you know, don't want to notice the umpires, but Matt Stervik is a senior umpire, has umpired since he's 2004. He's one of the most... He's
0: probably the number one umpire in the
1: AFL right now. So, um, and I think Green said this in his testimony, that he is an umpire that he tries to seek out for questions, but... You just cannot be doing that on no. with cameras all around, and and uh, I think he needs to pull his head out. Really, seriously, like he's twenty seven years old, Toby Green, and, and he's still doing stuff like this. You know, in, in a final when his team's progressing and and has the the ability now to upset another side, uh, just it beggars belief. Honestly. Well, it's
0: a big, it's a big. Um, he's really let his forget the fans and and forget Matt Stevic and everyone else. He's really let his teammates down. Because you can you can some somewhat make an argument in his in his favour if it's a football action like a, a dangerous tackle or something that he just crossed the, the, that line there and he got rubbed out for a, a week or two or three. But um, yeah, doing something like this, which is completely unnecessary, the get it was I'm, I'm pretty it was three quarter time when it happened. Mm. It just didn't need to happen and now he doesn't play and and as we said he probably probably misses the first couple of games the next season and it or and it compromises compromises the next the next year um as well so it's a shame because he's one of the top in my opinion top five players in the in the competition but um in terms of watchability he's probably top two um but it's just really disappointing how often this happens. It's not a one-off. And, and I think something, I think his record should come into play for something like this as well.
1: Mm. People Toby say Sucks. that
0: Toby green gets a rough ride. Well, he does because it ha- he, he does it so often.
2: When well, you talk about his record and I, I pulled it up just before, and it's just, we know he's been in a lot of trouble and things like that, but I'm amazed it's, it's 21 appearances in front of the MRO or tribunal. I'm um, oh, sorry. 22 after today for 22 guilty findings not once has anyone might as well give up
1: (laughs) (laughs) imagine how much uh, money has been spent on lawyers (laughs) imagine how much extra money he could have had in his pocket Uh, yeah uh, that's it Um, oh look before we get too far away from it we might uh, end this segment uh, just with a a snippet from my chat with former umpire Matthew Head and and you can make your own judgments Uh, let us know what you think at footy tips on twitter
3: yeah, I just, I just think that it's, it's something that it's got to be completely stamped out. I just think that it's protecting the fabric of the game. It's, you know, once you allow certain things, it's just going to get worse and worse. And I just go back to, you know, umpires are not there to, you know, they shouldn't have to deal with this. We see, you know, examples on YouTube and overseas where players are um, harming umpires, right? We, we don't want, I mean, you know, we, we don't want to get to that position of just allowing more and more. So I think it's about protection and setting the right image and protecting the fabric of the game. Where it's where it's really, you know, personable, it's directed at an umpire, it's it's easily visible and it's at them. I, I think that's where the line's got to be drawn. Umpire retention at, at a lower league is, is a real issue and, and has been for some time. There's, you know, a lot of umpires that join the ranks and you know, and but to retain them is a, is a real challenge, right? And typically it's the abuse that they get, which which turns young people away. You know, I, I mean, I look at this, I mean, I'm a, I'm a father of young kids and, you know, if they were out umpiring and they had somebody physically approach them, walk at them and make shoulder contact with them, it, if you're a parent, um, you know that would be really worrying right to, for, for that sort of for that sort of behavior particularly when you're an umpire and you're not doing it for the physical context you know for, for mm. the physical contest. you know you're there to officiate and apply the rules but I just think that uh, you know as, as a parent you know the risk of your of your child being you know physically contacted like that I think is, is definitely off-putting.
1: Don't forget to put your footy knowledge to the test in ESPN's footy finals challenge, round up your mates, give it a go and try and win the thousand dollar prize. It's a free to play fantasy sports game on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. And uh, you can make a series of predictions about the upcoming semifinals. Some good questions in there this week, Jake, about margins, who will get the most disposals out of, out of two different players. So for instance, Locking you've got now. Josh Kelly versus Patrick Dangerfield. Um, so there's a couple of interesting ones in there. Who will kick the first goal? Would it be Eric Kipwood? i uh, sorry, Eric Kipwood. Eric Kipwood. Well, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> It'd be pretty stiff, wouldn't it? Uh, Joe Danaher, Charlie Cameron, um, uh, Aaron Norton, or someone else. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Who, no, who, get you, who on would, it would you to, choose for like that one? Uh, oh, You'd have to take the anyone else option, it's, a,
0: it's a bit of a crapshoot, the old first goal. I'd, I'd probably go Charlie. Are you feel, he likes to get going early, but um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be... I'd be steering clear of that one. Fair
1: enough. Anyway, uh, check it out. ESPN.com.au. It's the uh, footy finals challenge. It's good fun. Christian, you mentioned role players before. Jake and I had an office theory that began many, many years ago. Um, and we discussed this on Mondays and Tuesdays all the time, whereby it wasn't necessarily the top line players who would ultimately win you a game more often. It was the last players you select each week. So like the deck chairs or the, the bottom six or your role players, whatever you want to call them. But the importance of the role that they play in a win compared to the top line players. Jake, you noticed something along these lines at the weekend. Do tell, do explain.
0: Yeah. So you you, you summed it up perfectly. And this is just, I'll preface this by saying, this is a very, very top line and basic sort of number that i noticed through the four finals. And Christian will have a bit more in-depth data, but I think it kind of highlights our point that we're making that you're only as good as your bottom, bottom, half dozen players. So, so taking the bottom six players from each of the eight sides who played in finals in the winning teams, the four winning teams combined, the bottom six players had 47.5 disposals um, on it. This is on average per team uh, and 6.25 goals. Now the losing side had 40.5 disposals. So six disposals fewer and 1.5 goals, uh, nearly five goals fewer from their bottom six. So again, it's a very top line sort of a number, and it, 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 there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, and it might not, it might not tell the full story, but it does give you an idea that if your bottom six is better than another bottom than your opposition's bottom six, you're going to go a long way to winning that game.
1: And there's nothing scientific about the number six. It's just what we discussed in the office many years
0: ago. I don't even know where six came from, but it could be three. It could be five. It could be nine. Like it could be any amount of, any amount of players. I mean, it could be 22, 23, (laughs) include the sub. Why not? But we found that generally there was probably five or six players that were kind of like, not to be disrespectful, but you could, you could, they could be missing and
1: you probably wouldn't notice that type of player. Christian, does this sort of chat hold any weight? Uh, we, we sort of tasked you with taking a look at the quirky idea that, you know, y- your, your bottom players, your role players, if they're playing better than your opposition team's role players, you're winning the game. Does it hold up?
2: Yeah, and it's <coughs> uh, it's yeah, probably something, again, working in this industry and, you know, dealing with a lot of... Um, you know, meteorites and that, I think six has been a number that I've probably heard elsewhere as well. So there is that, that theory and I feel like it's a little bit of a footyism a, a feeling of, you know, that your bottom six players just have to be as good. But again, it's just, it's just one of those ones that I, I don't have a definitive answer on. I've got, you know, probably more of along the lines of a cheeky answer of what is your bottom six? And that's always been the problem with this sort of query. So what makes your bottom six player? So I know Jake just used disposals and goals as average but he also used it post game. So you used it after the performance has been had. So if you sort of talk about correlation causation, it's more of its causation. It's the winning team. Of course, their players have produced more than the losing team players have. Um, and you're just gra- grabbing, you know, the six worst performed players from each two time, uh, each two teams. And yeah, you're more than likely going to have, you know, more disposals or more goals amongst those players, just because the team that won usually has. So, um Again, yeah, taking the query and sort of looking at it, there's probably two ways to sort of judge what, you know, where do you grab your bottom six from? Is it your bottom six performers within any given game? Or is it the bottom six players coming into the game? Which, again, has its own sort of limitations and problems and subjectiveness of how do you measure who the bottom six players coming into a team are? Again, just using basic stats, um, you might get someone like, you know, and, and just spoke about him in what I noticed, Harrison Petty, he might come in Melbourne's bottom six, but he might be the third be- third player mm. picked by Simon Goodman each week because he's so mm. important to the role in the team. So what we're saying is a bottom six player might not be a bottom six player at a club. So, again, the, the, the query is just, you know, almost fraught with danger in terms of, yeah, there's just so many ways to spin it around. There, and-
0: there's certainly not an exact science. That's, the, that's why it's so tricky and the, no one can ever really come up with a, a clear cut yeah. answer on it.
2: I was still interested to see again, just looking at that number and taking the number six. And I think I wrote back to you guys, why why the number six? And it was just sort of a cheeky response because it's not the first time I've heard. It. I said, you know, why isn't it your bottom four or bottom seven or bottom five player? So <laughs> I have I've, I've run the numbers and just just looking at twenty twenty one in isolation, and again looking at the two different numbers of one looking at the the bottom six coming into the game, looking at average player rating points at that time period um, versus. Actually, taking that number for the bottom six performing players across a game. So, starting with the number six, if you come into the game and your bottom six players from your 22 selected players, so obviously on a Thursday night, no subs being selected, so there's only 22 selected players. Looking at those bottom six players, if your bottom six players had a higher ratings output than the other opposition's bottom six players, 58% of the time you won the game. So, pretty much more than half. So, again, that also stacks up with a bit of causation. Usually teams with better form are coming into, you know, you know, teams higher on the ladder have got more rating points across the season because mm. they played better across the game. So, again, there's a little bit of that, but 58%, yeah, it's slightly high. If you look at just across a game, which is sort of the way you looked at it, Jake, and just looking at AFL rating points, if your bottom six players outperform the other bottom six players on a game, and that can be any, just your bottom six scorers. So Patrick Dangerfield, if he doesn't have a good night, yeah. could be part of Geelong's bottom six players. That's got a win rate of 72 percent. Hmm. so again that but it all comes back to and you know what we sort of talk about correlation versus causation there's you know coming into this yeah. team-
0: but it also highlights the fact that you can't carry any passengers whether it's Patrick Dangerfield or it's Luke Dalhouse you can't afford anyone to not be a, particularly in a final because we saw it this week it was 75 percent well it was 100 percent this for the four games this week so you can't afford to have anybody not playing their role.
2: Yeah, and and again, looking at that number six, it, it does seem to be probably the right number to look at, really. So again, we'll we'll, we'll start at the top. So let's look at twenty two players. So you know, just looking at if you have the if you have a better twenty two uh, selected team, you know, based on player ratings average coming into the game than your opposition, you win ninety one percent of games. So it's a pretty good um, measure for some of the footy tippers out there that just looking at the lineups and just you know using. The average rating points across the 22 selected. Um, the higher-rated team going into the game won 191% of games this year. Uh, sorry, sorry, God, that was run 64% of games this year coming into it, but 91% at the end of the game. So flip those two numbers around. So again, oh, gotcha. So if you're, there, so yeah,
0: you so if you're wins want the team game, mine yeah. for a higher rating points you win 91% of the yeah, time
2: sorry so 64% yeah. was the first number yeah. okay yeah I was first gonna first say, so, yeah, going to say that. yeah, going into it still you know 64% was still much higher than the 58% which was your bottom six so you know your mm-hmm. top 22 is more important than your bottom six but, yeah 91% <laughs> of games but again just yeah just looking at all the numbers so again we'll talk about going into the match with your selected 22 and looking at that so have the better bottom three 55% have the better bottom four you're a 58% chance of winning Better bottom five, 59%. Bottom six, 58%. Bottom seven, 59%. Bottom eight, 61%.
1: Okay, so right. So there's uh, a point where if, you, if you're getting contributions out of your bottom third, you, like it's quite a significant swing in favour of the... T- yeah, of, can, of you the can add
2: up to 5 to 10% on your chances of winning, you know, and, that, and that's, again, looking at this year in isolation, but I think a, a cheeky, a, you know, quick peek at previous years, the numbers would be quite similar, even yeah. if you ran it for, um, for more seasons than this one. So... Again, yeah, it's sort of, you can see it sort of, as I said, jumps up to about 61% by about eight players. Um, And, you know, just slowly keeps going up to, as I said, get to 64% by the time Mm -hmm. you get to 22. Um, Across the game, again, numbers, the the six bottom players seems to be a, you know, a good winning correlation. For bottom three, it's only 58% of the time you win the game. If your worst three performed players are better than the other, you know, other sides, it's only 58% winning. Bottom four is 65%, so significant jump. Bottom five, 68%. Bottom six, which we'll talk about, 72%. Bottom seven actually drops to 71%, which is just a quirk in the numbers. And then bottom eight is 74%. So again, it starts around the bottom bottom four, bottom five is where it really takes a big jump from your bottom three or two. But it is, it's... Again, you know, go back to what is your bottom six. So coming into, uh, I use Errol Goulden as Sydney as a good example. Probably for the first five rounds, he would have clearly been part of Sydney's bottom six players. Yeah. coming into each game based on this measure because he hadn't played enough games and he was lower in rating points. But slowly would have turned around. So by round eleven, he's now part of their best ten or twelve mm. players. So where, yeah. What is the bottom six and how long are you in a bottom six for?
1: (laughs) See, this is fascinating because it's kind of similar to that chat we had a while back where we were trying to sort of measure momentum and it's just, you can't really define it. can't really sort of get a grasp on what that actually is. Um, But it it just sort of fascinates me that even if it's just three players, like if you're three worst, and I use air quotes for that, worst players on the ground are better than the other teams, three worst players, like you're still like 8% better than 50-50 to win the game. Um, so it just goes to show, and Jake summed it up, you can't really have any passengers at, at this level and getting contributions out of any every member of that 22 or that 23 is just crucial to winning any old game, let alone a final.
2: Yeah, and that's why, again, some of the players I've pumped up this year are those exact players. Like Willem Drew's another good one. For yeah. I think he's, he's clearly outside. He's, he's above their bottom six players now, but... Just that ability to just be able to put someone into play their role, it just makes Ollie Wines and Travis Spokes' role and their value to the team so much better, having someone like Willem Drew Harris, absolutely what he does with May and Lever. So I like those blokes. The ones that you can see come in, and they're probably only getting their 10 or 12 touches, but they're adding 5 or 10% value to the 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 other guys in their
1: line around them. just Ollie yep. Wines should be given half his brown loader to Willem Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should hand out like uh wingman awards or something like that. Um, <laughs> Paul sees won't get one. <laughs> Jake, are you satisfied uh, that your theory is kind of holding up in a, in a weird kind of roundabout way? Uh,
0: yeah, I think so. I, look at that. I agree with Christian. It, there's so many different ways you can look at it, but um, I don't necessarily disagree. I don't necessarily think that looking at it after the game is the wrong way because it does highlight, as I said, the fact that your bot if your bottom six don't perform as well as the other team's bottom six, which is what we talk about, then you win the game. You only win you're only winning the game about one in four times. So the odds are in your favor if the bo- if your bottom half a dozen players are performing at a high level, and we hear it all the time, coaches saying play your role. It's the classic, mm-hmm. yep. classic thing to say. Um and it's true. So it doesn't matter if it is your A-grade player in that bottom six on any given day, or if it's not, you've just got to make sure that you don't have any passengers. And unfortunately we saw quite a few teams this week feel like they did have quite a few passengers out there and they all lost games.
1: All right, moving on this week's finals, uh, a couple of interesting games. We got Geelong against the Giants who will be without Toby Green, as we've discussed, Jake, Um Cats have been horrendous in first-week finals over the last six or seven years, and it's it's almost... Unre- it's it's unreal. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's I like that, that buy thing, right? Chris Scott likes to say that it's not a trend, but uh, when the trend emerges, you can't help but acknowledge right. it, surely. You can say you don't like it, but it is a, that's <laughs> the
0: definition of what a trend is. You uh, keep can... losing that game. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was strange. I thought... Um... I thought, I mean, what well, we spoke about on the podcast last week, all those ga- all the first week of finals, they all felt like coin flips. They're all really hard to pick. I went with Geelong, not with a huge amount of confidence, but I thought they would, they would win. Mm-hmm. Um, Given there was no buy. Yeah. And, and um, they didn't, they, they looked really poor, to be honest. Um, and I don't know. I, I know that at their best, they, they, um, they should be able to beat the Giants reasonably com- comfortably, but, even without, I think the Toby Green loss just makes it, I wouldn't say impossible, but very difficult now for, for GWS to win. And I think Geelong, it would be it would be a horrendous end to a season if they were to go out in the classic straight, straight sets, sets after everything. The hype of bringing in some senior players in uh, Jeremy Cameron, um, Isaac Higgins. Smith, and Sean Higgins. Um, you know, top two team all year to then go out in straight sets with, Playing a Gi- Giants team without their best player, it would be it would be disastrous. So I think they win, but I'm certainly not as confident on them as I, w- as I was um, six seven weeks ago when I thought they were just about
1: um, they had one hand on the cup. It's another footyism, isn't it? One we've borrowed from tennis, though. The old straight sets. Uh, Christian, can you make a case <laughs> for the Giants at all? Well,
2: yeah, they've they've won their last three against these two teams. Um, so, you know, round there four the 19, um, first round last year and just, you know, three weeks ago this did year. Did they have
0: Toby in all of them? <laughs>
2: uh, I believe they did. Um, but, I mean, even with Toby in round 21, they were without – I think they made eight eight or nine changes yeah, that night for right. the team. So, they were definitely behind the eight ball then. And the one area for me that, that you know, is probably going to be a focus of the game for them is the – it's the contested possession count, but as I said, we've sort of spoken recently, it's the post clearance contested possession count. Um, that's really important. I think in it coming into this game anyway. So talking about contested possessions that around the clearances, you know, it's good again, footyism. get your hands on the ball first and get it out of the clearances. That's good. <laughs> but the, the highest quality contested possessions, the ones you can win in general play, the ones after a one-on-one contest where you can beat your man, win it. You got more, more uh, likeliness of actually using an effective disposal or getting more meters gained. Um, winning post-clearance contested possession. So looking across since 2019 to now, GWS have won the um, post-clearance contested possession in all, uh, two of the three games against Geelong, but sort of smashed them in that. And they're the only team in that time to be in the positive against Geelong. So it's some, something I, which I speak about it sort of a lot with Geelong. They're bullies. They just they dominate contested possession and they dominate disposal by holding onto the ball as well. GWS have been the only team to be able to beat them in the general play contested possession count. That's um, interesting. Across the last three years. so, And that was a big problem for um, Gelog in their first final against Port LA. I mean, they they lost the contested possession count, I think, by eight. Um, mm. But it was negative 24 uh, post-clearance contested post contested possession. So, again, they matched it with them at the clearances. But on the outside, in general play, they were losing a lot of those contes- contests. Um, so it was a big reason why Port beat them. And it's been a big reason why GWS has matched with them in the past.
1: Jake in a word do you think the giants can win? Well, I didn't 2 minutes ago but now <laughs> you you're convincing me that they can. Uh, well,
0: probably not. I know the numbers you can't ignore the numbers but I think the green loss is huge and as I said just before I don't think the cats will be going losing two in a row uh two finals in a row that is. Yep. Um three finals in a row if you go back to the grand final. So, um yeah, I, I think the cats win, but just looking at the the odds for the game, I think they're they're pretty short.
2: The old catters. I will say you did say to make a case for the giants. So if you had asked me to make a case for the cats, I could have, probably would have went for a bit longer. So you know, I'm <laughs> with you. You're one of clearly favourites in this game, but as I said, GWS do have a, a certain measure that they can sort of hang their head on to try what, to beat.
1: What are the cliff notes for the cats?
2: I mean, again, just as Jacobs uh, Jake said across the whole year, they've been a the better team. Like if yeah. you, if you rank them in key performance indicators, clearances, contest possessions, Geelong's three or four rungs above them in everything. So yeah, being the better team all year. But as I said, those last three contests between these two clubs, mm. uh, clearances um, is sort of, you know, been quite even in terms of raw clearances, GWS score, you know, and we always talk about GWS love to score for clearances. So they've outscored the cats from that source. But as I said, it's being able to win those contests away from play uh, away from the contest and, even you know, the last time they played, Sam Taylor, seventeen intercept possessions, mm-hmm. the way he just yeah. beat Walking, just winning those contests all night long was what. what
0: but you have got case. to ask yourself, does that happen again? Do, you know, like like Peter Wright against the the, the Bulldogs. Does it? Yeah. Does lightning strike twice? Uh, do you learn from that? I know it's different. There was different conditions in that game, but um, yeah, I, I look at it. What's more likely, Geelong win by forty-five points, or the Giants win by ten?
1: Cats by 45. But I was gonna say cats by about five goals. Like as if I'm picking a team and a margin. Yeah, I think Geelong will win it by probably
0: maybe not 45, but probably 27 points, 28 points.
1: Christian.
2: Yeah, I'll tip cats by 20.
1: Uh, Lions and the Bulldogs. Um, interesting match. And it's gonna be a, a tough one. game. Saturday night. So the, the fixture's been decided. It's gonna be Saturday night, uh, at the Gabba, and it's it might get a bit moist. It might get a bit humid. Um, it is a tough one to pick because, as we said, the dogs were, as of five weeks ago, they were top of the ladder or four mm. weeks ago. It might even have been that that soon. So well, it wasn't long ago the Bulldogs were top and the Lions were really were struggling. Or fourth, yeah, so right on the precipice. So, look, the, the home ground advantage does come into play here where it doesn't for the Cats facing the Giants. Um, oh, look, the way that the Lions were last week I, I it's, it's always funny because you, you always get skewed with the, the semifinals because there's always mm. a loser the, a better ranked loser and a and a lower ranked winner and so you, you sort of always wonder where you're going to put these teams together I still think the the Lions are possibly the slightly the, the better team at the moment mm. the dogs some of the selection um, and, and and where they're playing some of the players at the moment and, and Bevo's decisions I'm not quite sold on so I think the Lions are going to this as the favorites and probably deservedly so
0: yeah, um, I tend to agree purely because I'd give them the edge just because it's at the Gabba. Um, but I think this one will be closer than the than the first semi. Or is this the second semi? I hate the way that always <laughs> confuses me. The The first game that they play is the second elimination final or something. That's, that's, true, always, that's how
2: you always remember it. So this game's been played second, so you know it's the first semi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that actually true? Yeah. <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, Look, I, know, I, I also tipped the uh, Bombers to, to cause the upset. And look, I didn't think it was a 50-point. didn't feel like a 50-point game. It felt probably like 20. But um, they did what they had to do, the, the Bulldogs. I still have a few questions about them and their forward yeah. line and where the goals are coming from and just not convinced. We know their midfield's good. They've got a few holes around at the moment. Um, the Lions feel like they've got a bit more improvement in them. And going home... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tough one to pick. Um, hadn't really thought about it until now with the Toby Green and everything
1: else happening. I haven't really had a chance to think. <laughs> um, but don't, I, I don't well, know
0: yet which way I'm going to go.
1: Yeah, have you got any nuggets of information that the listeners might be interested in? Again,
2: just looking at top-level game styles of these two teams, I think we spoke about Brisbane-Melbourne last week was, it was good versus evil in terms of scoring versus defence in terms <laughs> yep. of Brisbane number one scorer and Melbourne for number one defence. This is the, uh, you know, it's football versus handball almost. So number one kick to handball ratio, Brisbane, um, and second lowest, Bulldogs. So Bulldogs, you know, most handballs, second most handballs per game. And I think Brisbane are 17th in that stat. So again, when you match them up uh, in terms of differentials, they're both, you know, top four for inside 50 differential, quite, up, quite high up there for territory, clearances, um, contested possessions, that sort of thing. But it's, it's the way they want to move the ball. The Bulldogs, yeah, a lot more flicking it by hand um, you know, sort of quicker, quicker transition from, you know, disposal, disposal. Whereas Brisbane, they they kick the ball a lot, but they're not like West Coast. There's not a lot of not a lot of sideways and backwards kicking. It's it's kicking to the contest, kicking forward and trying to take ground as often as possible. So again, two very differing game styles. Um yeah, looking at, you know, again, last few games, six of the past day to go on the bulldogs way uh between these two sides only one of the past three. So Brisbane, two of Brisbane's wins have come, you know, in the recent ones, but earlier this year, uh, Bulldogs um, just dominated the territory across the game. I think they kept Brisbane to 45, 44 inside fifties, which is one of their lowest for this year. Um, scored a lot of points from forward half. I think they were, yeah, they were plus 18 minutes for time in forward half. So again, talking about lightning strikes. The last time they played, yeah, Brisbane never got a look in. Um, and again, if the Bulldogs can produce that sort of, you know, that sort of game again, and just dominate territory, um, yeah that there'll be a big chance to win it but again both of these teams play very similar game style and they they both score a lot from forward half chain so whoever wins the time in forward half for this one probably will um, come out on top for me
1: mm-hmm. uh, a winner and a margin i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking the lions by by maybe a, a couple of kicks jake any thoughts um i'm going to go the bulldogs by like four
0: points Ooh. A nice close one. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I think it's a really hard game to pick. I feel like this this has got the Bulldogs Giants of twenty sixteen that prelim feel about it, where it's going to be really tight. I reckon. I reckon it's going to come down a a really
1: really um, late moment to decide mm. this game. Well, it's definitely the pick of the semis, Christian. Do you have a, a thought leading either way?
2: Uh, yeah, as Jake said, I probably haven't
1: haven't settled on this game yet at the at this stage. Yeah, Bulldogs by eleven. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, And remember the ESPN footy pod is just one of a number of great local podcasts available on our network. We've just released the newest one called beyond the lead where journalist Joey Lynch speaks to some of sports, most interesting characters. We've got scrum reset with uh, the great man, Sam Bruce and the far post podcast, which looks at all things, women's football. You can find these wherever you get your podcasts. Time for justified hype or hyperbole, the segment where I'll say a statement to you guys, and you tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. We might need to whip through these as we are running a little bit short of time, but Sydney's year should be deemed a failure after their loss to the Giants, Jake.
0: It's not a failure, but it's very it's a very disappointing end. Not only do they lose to their crosstown rival, but I think the way in which it all happened, you know, they were. They felt like a much better team throughout the whole year than the Giants. And and,
1: and the last quarter, they wasted opportunities. Oh, they did. 2-7 yeah. in I, that final term. So
0: failure is probably not the right word because they unearthed a lot of young talent and yep. they made finals. Like hardly anyone expected them to make finals. So I don't think you can look at it as a failure, but it's certainly a wasted opportunity because they had a great chance to win that game going in. And as you said, in that last quarter, and they they didn't do it. I still
2: feel like one of the biggest things of that game hasn't been spoken about enough is Josh Kennedy. The, the loss of Josh Kennedy and Callum Mills in that mm. game for Sydney to produce what they did. Yeah, they missed their opportunities in the end. But again, yeah, that they're if you you know two players you don't want to take out of Sydney side are probably out yeah, two of their best midfielders. Yeah, um, I think they they did pretty well considering how big a loss those two players were.
1: Christian, while I've got you, the Bombers' season can only be rated an A, nothing less.
2: Oh, geez, i would be a hard pass, Mark. It's definitely a, I don't know if you can mark it an A, can you? It depends where you where you set your sights as a as a yeah. footy club. Um, but it, it's a it's a tick, it's an up arrow and it's it's where they want it to go. Uh I don't it think, that was, up. you know, and again, looking at list profiles and things like that, they were, they're never I don't think they were aiming to be a top four team this year. It's all about what you know, the next two or three years, give give Ben Run some time. So um, if it's not an A this year, I'm, I'm sure they'll be aiming for an A next year because that's the type
1: of, type of sort of progression they're on. Some pretty raw chats they had in the rooms, some really good access from the Bombers media crew um, following that loss and how open and honest uh, Dyson Heppel and and Rutten were about the year and, and the journey that they're on and how they all, seems to be quite a good group buy-in. So maybe there is much better things to come for the Bombers. Jake, Christian Petrarca and... Clayton Oliver is the best one two punch in the AFL. Uh yeah, we, we put this down as a question. I I kind of thinking
0: about it, I don't really think it's close at the moment. Certainly right now. Um as a midfield combo that complement them, the two complement each other so well. Both different players, but so dynamic and damaging. Yeah, I think they are pretty comfortably. I I I actually can't really think of another duo that comes relatively close.
1: Yeah. Uh, maybe I mean, your favorite for the
0: Brownlow and, and an aging Wine, midfielder and Trav Boak. Wines and Boak yeah. I mean, you got Bont and Liber or Bont and McRae um, Dusty, and whoever's in form for the Tigers, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think Christian mentioned before a few years ago was Dangerfield and and Salwood. Um, there's been some good ones, we've had Pendlebury and Swan, and um, there's been some good ones throughout the years, but yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think anyone's topping those two at the moment. Fair I enough. mean, they're, they're two of the two in the All-Australian team and you had throw Max Gorn in there as well and then whether it's a James Harms or a Jack Viney in it and that, that quartet they have at the centre bounce, I tell you what, I know they, I know the numbers don't say that they're the best centre bounce team in the comp, but it's pretty damn good.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Craig McCray is the right choice for the Pies. I think he is. I think this is a really good well, he hasn't been announced officially, but it, all things are pointing to uh, Collingwood Um, signing him up, and you're having a giggle, Jake. Because you, (laughs) what are you on about? I can't
0: hear Craig McRae's name without thinking of Jared Healy calling Jack McRae Craig McRae. I've heard him do it like three times. (laughs) Uh, the other thing is just on this McRae business, yes, I think McRae, as in Jackson McRae, has his name spelt wrong more than any other player in the comp. Everyone always. Yeah, well, Brad Johnson constantly gets that wrong. But no, the um, they <coughs> I spelt all- wrong, like Bailey, the wrong Bailey, B A Y L E. Oh, I think the pronunciation. Yeah, 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 true. Well, this is always pronounced the same, but they write it. E- everyone, everyone from your local Twitter nuff to actual people <laughs> in the media, they all they keep writing it wrong. They write it with the little c, big R. Like All right. Craig, Craig McRae. Anyway, the, the appointment looks question.
1: pretty good. Uh, another Clarko disciple, Jake, which will be I'm sure happy to know. Um, and it looks like they haven't gone down that sort of messiah path. The pies, and they look like they've, they've picked a the man that will be right so, for the man. job. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: I, I, to be honest, I don't know. An, I don't know an awful lot about Craig McRae. Um, I. I mean, yeah. He he feels like he fits the fits the mold pretty well, and. Um, yeah, I, I I I don't mind giving guys like this an opportunity. I'm I'm more for that than just everyone's all jumping on like, oh, we gotta give Ross gotta get Ross line and Carlton. It's like yeah, and then you hear what comments from like Ed Langdon about what type of coach he is. Is that what we want in this day and age? No, I say give give someone else an opportunity. And I think from what I do
1: hear about Craig McRae, he looks like he'll be a great a great get for the pies. Uh, and last one, Christian, you might be able to book some flights if we can fly next year. Uh, if you want to cover a game or anything like that, because the Swans are going to host Hawthorne in round one next year so that Buddy gets his thousand goals in front of the Hawks. I
2: was still hoping to get top the stadium in three weeks' time, but I don't think <laughs> it'll happen. So you're probably right. It's probably <laughs> round luck. one next year. But uh, <laughs> I was hoping. Round one
0: or round two? Are <laughs> they, they going to bank one. on him kicking around? I
2: don't know. I. I you Guys, love to talk about it where you know the, the AFL getting the swans to be playing Hawthorne when Buddy kicks his thousandth.
1: Oh, it'll happen, it's just I, whether I they do it round like one or two. Now that
2: it's five goals, it's such that it's an awkward number, you can't, yeah, you, you can't doctor it. Just
1: you had four to half time on the weekend, but yeah. that's what I mean. You give him round one. How and... many
0: did you finish with?
1: Four, was it four? <laughs> I think he had three. Uh, at three half-time. at halftime. My, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Well, he looked good. But maybe, you know what they could do? If they play the, the, the Swans play the Hawks twice, you could just do back-to-back fixtures, SCG, MCG. Cover <laughs> your bases. It would be
0: unreal. And then the <laughs> thing is what, he gets injured and then they
1: hold him off to next year. Uh,
0: oh, who yeah.
1: knows? That's uh, funny. Um. All right, Thanks, guys. It's been a pretty big episode. We have to get oh. through a lot. Um. Christian, I know you've got to run, so thanks for sticking around. And, and Jake, good to talk shop with you as always. And to everyone at home, We'll talk to you uh, on next Tuesday ahead of the next one. So uh, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll speak to you then. See you next Tuesday.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN
3: footy pod, wherever you get your podcasts.